the Belated Binge Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. My name's Zach, and I'll be your host throughout this journey, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that, aside from their impact on pop culture, also have one other key thing in common. That is, I nearly missed out on them completely. In some cases, not coming around for over a decade. That's the belated part. But now, we're going to revisit them episode by episode, chapter by chapter, moment by moment, discussing world building, character development, character motivations, plot holes, theories, themes, and we're also going to give away meaningless awards. That's the binge part. Together, they make the belated binge. And today, we continue our reread of the Harry Potter series with chapters eight and nine of Sorcerer's Stone, The Potions Master, and The Midnight Duel. And we'll be doing so with a special guest that I'm super excited to introduce. But first, this podcast will have spoilers. We dissect each chapter with the character motivations and key moments that impact the greater story. This episode, this podcast could also have some adult content and adult language at times. We'll try not to let it get out of hand, but you never know. That being said, we're going to get into this episode's play-by-play in just a minute. But before we get into that, I do want to introduce our guest host for today's episode, Amanda Wilson from the Fox and the Foxhound podcast. Hi. Hello. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. You're officially the first guest on the Belated Binge podcast, which means that your tiny little fictitious trophy is not in the mail. Oh, well, that's fine. It, you know, <laughs> it's an imaginary trophy. I will place it on my shelf. Right. Although right I'm, get, I'm getting Dundee's vibes at this moment. I feel <laughs> like it should happen. What would they be called? If it's the, the bladed binge, what would it be called? They, uh, they'd have to be the bingies. The bingies. I like it. It's yeah. cute. It sounds like bungees, bin- budgies, like the little like, birds. Yeah, I think it's got to be the bingies. Yeah, probably the bingies. I, I, I like it. <laughs> do you want to take a minute to tell us about your podcast sure it it feels it was really cool to go back to like book one because it feels like it's been so long since Mm -hmm. we've been there on our show so I host the Fox and the Fox out along with my husband Kevin who is reading the series for the first time as a 42 year old man so we're currently in book seven Mm -hmm. kind of the first third or so of book mm-hmm. seven, I think. But, uh, you know, we kind of read it through the lens of marriage and partnerships. We were engaged when we started and we've been married now for over two years because mm-hmm. um, it's taken us a while and we've got our <laughs> first kid on the way. So now we're starting to look at the series through the lens of parenting too, which is wild. So certainly yeah. a new wrinkle. <laughs> definitely what a good way to put it yeah right. <laughs> a new wrinkle I love it and it's probably going to lead to several more just throwing that out there <laughs> definitely definitely yes. I've I've started to go gray since becoming a dad just, <laughs> oh it's already started pregnancy has done it to me I'm already <laughs> gray hairs on the top of my head I'm like that's fun great thanks kid <laughs> who I haven't met yet <laughs> right Right. Um, so the, I know the answer to this question, but I think it's a fantastic story. So how did you come up with the name? Oh, well, so I don't know if you remember or if you were even like 
if you had read the series when the Pottermore Patronus quiz like first came out. I've done the quiz, yes. Yes, and I'm going to have to know your answer too, so don't forget. <laughs> um, well, I took this quiz in the day it came out, What's My Patronus, of course. I was so excited that I got a fox. It's been my favorite animal my entire life. I love foxes. I have like a spiritual connection to them. And I made Kevin take it. Mm-hmm. He had no clue what a Patronus was. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, no idea. And he took it and he got a fox hound. So he got the little dog and we just thought it was perfect. So we always remembered that, that those were our Patronuses. And when we started talking more seriously about doing the show, that seemed like the logical name for it, which is you know pretty cute. But what's your, what's your Patronus? I'm dying I- to know. Well, I think you thought right. Uh, mine was, and it's been a long time since I did any of this stuff, so don't ask me all of the questions, but I do remember <laughs> I got a Manx cat, which oh, is cool. basically just a cat. With no tail. They don't have tails. Do they not have t- I Honestly, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I was clueless. Tails. I'm like, what is this thing? So I actually, I retook it. I got, I think I got a dolphin once. Ooh, I don't know. Dolphin's a good Patronus. Yeah. Um. Apparently, it swims after your enemies. I. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, like, is the air the water? I get, like. The, I <laughs> yeah. How does that? About the logistics. Of yeah. It. How does that work? Does it only yeah. work if I'm swimming? Oh, if how many dementors are you going to meet in the water? Really? It, well, I mean, they were by a pond, right, or a lake, or something. So, True. instead of flying out over maybe it would just like you know bob through good point i love it i i, I like this I, it, it's very graceful it's maybe yeah. not the most practical patronus no, yeah but it's know. funny because i i said i i took it i think i actually took it three times and i think i got that stupid cat twice so it you're must really be meant the to answer. be the tailless cat i, I you're guess really meant, meant for it is that supposed to mean that i'm like spineless and hate people no is that what no so, because okay no <laughs> Manx cat, I, I have no idea why I know this. It's like useless information that's in my brain. I know they don't have tails, but they're super affectionate and very like loyal and sweet and kind. They're helpful pups. Mm. Okay. <laughs> hey, I love You're them. like, yay. <laughs> hey, I, you were able to tie a bow around that that made a heck of a lot more sense than I was able to make of it. And this has been five years now. Um <laughs> happy i could do that <laughs> right right i cuz i'm the, like i've become a bit of a potter nerd about the series but i'm not the type like uh and i told some of this story but i didn't tell you um i told some of this on my announcement video but i didn't actually sit down and read this thing front to back until i was like 25 or something I so i i haven't been going around my entire life introducing people like hey i'm zach and i'm in this hogwarts house or what like that hasn't been my life that's that's probably a good thing so it didn't become my life after i took the quizzes it was kind of just like hmm all right cool yeah (laughs) and you're like harry potter passport right it's like what's your house what's your favorite character what's your favorite book your favorite movie you've listened to mugglecast uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) what do they call the phantom id uh oh right yeah um, clearly I've become a Potter nerd because I listened to my podcast and I listen to you guys. That's how I knew 
that you existed to ask you onto this uh onto this podcast i actually started uh, i can't even remember when i found you but i think you were somewhere in book five so okay. now instead of just like listening to you i went back to the first book like i went all the way back i've listened like all the way through um and caught up literally earlier this week i caught up no kidding where you're at today yes congratulations um, so that's yes. a lot of episodes <laughs> i'm so i i have to ask now too i know you've mentioned some things here and there but what are you doing after because you're almost at the end like what is oh. your other plan for you know i mean we don't totally know i know mm -hmm. that we're gonna do all of the kind of like extra stuff right so like fantastic beasts mm. we'll do for better or for worse <laughs> the two first two fantastic beasts anyway mm -hmm. um and if the third one's out by then we'll do that too curse child again for better or for mm. worse um mm. yikes and i want i'm not to touching curse child i'm just gonna say it i'm just gonna say it now for the <laughs> unless there's an <sighs> uprising on the belated binge social media or patreon where they just really want me to do it like you're I, gonna I'm, have I'm to not do it. I, I have a feeling you're gonna have enough if i if i have a choice i'm just i'm just not doing it it's it's <laughs> rough it's it real is. rough it um, is but i will say having seen it it's incredible the, I Honestly. mean, that's what I've heard. I've read the thing and it doesn't, and my, the, my cop out, I can always say is it doesn't fit the belated binge like qualifications to be a series that we do because when like it came out, I read the screenplay. So I wasn't <laughs> late to curse child. I wish yeah. I was late and maybe <laughs> it never. just never happened. <laughs> no, I, I, I take that back. I don't, I don't wish that I hadn't read it. I wish it was better. <laughs> Okay, so that's fair. That's completely fair. <laughs> I mean, it is wackadoo nuts. It is. So it's, I can yeah. tell you right now, Kevin's going to hate it. He really is. I, he's going to like super duper But hate he's going to love it if you take him. Because you guys but are theater people. Maybe we're going to have to just like take You're a have field to do trip yeah. and do it. And tickets mm -hmm. are not impossible like they used to be. Mm -hmm. And I think we definitely want to do some deep dives on characters. Like we want to do an episode on Snape. Mm -hmm. fine um we're gonna we talk were... about him plenty today so, much. so <laughs> you know what's beyond all of that stuff i i don't know but we have no intentions of stopping that's for sure so i know he's gonna make me watch back to the future at some point mm -hmm. you know um mm -hmm. because he if you you've heard the show he's a little I obsessed bet. with back to the future yeah and i'm and not positive i've ever seen any of them <laughs> I haven't either. If it makes you feel any better, you not? I just haven't. Oh my nope. gosh, you'll have nope. to cover it on your show too. I have like a joint show. I will. I would do that. I probably wouldn't deep dive it just on my own. <laughs> I do have like. I will say I do have um, because I am apparently perpetually late on everything that's popular and good i do have several uh options that i can get into outside of harry potter on here that i almost started with before doing harry potter um oh you want the you're you're looking for like a sneak okay um yeah, yeah. if it's a secret it can be a secret i totally understand well it, i i mean it, whatever hashtag keep the secrets isn't that a thing um 
so I had a final four that was truly more of a final three. And I threw one in just in case it was Harry Potter. Okay. Sons of Anarchy. Oh, interesting. Never seen it. Okay. Totally not a kid's show. Who knew? Uh, The Office. And Parks and Rec. No, I no. Remember the the qualifications to get on this show are that I have seen or read them and binged them, but I was incredibly late in doing. Got it. Okay. I know it makes absolutely no sense for the premise of a podcast, so that's why I'm using it. Um, But that's how I like narrowed down what to what to focus like what to try. Yeah. Yes. Because, you know, at those at the times that they were I was deep diving into something else I was laid on from the decade prior, you know. Um plus it's nice to be able to binge the things instead of like right. waiting on right. That was out. that was another thing about um doing the show is I wanted it to be things that could be bingeable. I love it. You know, that way we could literally talk spoiler full, like see the impact, see the Easter eggs as they were laid along the path to where we were headed. throughout the whole you know the whole thing i didn't want to do like um if i did for instance like sons of anarchy i wouldn't do the mayans spinoff because it's new and happening now and like doesn't have the end with harry potter i wouldn't do the fantastic beasts as their own thing because they're happening now and like we don't have the end yet granted we think we know where it's headed but who knows how the hell they're ever going to get there but it's right. a really valid question. I mean, <laughs> probably four more Grindelwalds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're getting, we are getting off, uh, off Sorry, topic here a little bit. Uh, no, it's, it isn't at all. Uh, that's literally kind of the whole point of this whole thing. So let's get, uh, let's get started with the, the show segments. And the first one that we do is the play-by-play segment. Play by play. With chapter eight, the potions master, it starts with actually a ton of exposition. We learn that Harry is a walking sideshow at the Hogwarts carnival. People are constantly pointing at him and his scar. You, you have to imagine that he sort of feels like a snake at the zoo, that, except nobody's tapping on the glass or trying to talk to him. They're talking about him. He's just constantly on display for other people's enjoyment. And I have to add, like, how jarring is this to you? Oh, my God. If this is you. I'm not, I have no problem, like, being on stage as an Mm -hmm. actor, but being me the center of attention is, like, really not my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. And especially what I find horrifying about this, if I'm Harry, is, like, this is the kind of attention where people are trying to act like they're not looking at you and not talking about you, but they totally are. It's just, oh my God, it's so uncomfortable. It's it's like Gossip Girl meets Medieval Castle meets magical things happening. And by the way, this kid has a giant scar on his forehead to basically act as a bullseye. Um, yes. Speaking of the Hogwarts carnival, stairways going different places based on the day of the week, not literally moving in the air, but we won't get into that. Vanishing (laughs) steps, sentient doors, trick doors, fake doors, secret passages, probably covered by doors, ghosts, peeves, a maniac cat, which is basically 
all cats. And of course, Filch, who might be the least human of everything that I just mentioned. The fact that any student not only find their way to class, but actually live through the first night is kind of mind-blowing. This place is a fun house and often the kind that horror movies have with a creepy clown with an axe. How do these kids ever actually survive? Like this place is a death trap. It is. is, My God. And what do they have? They have a prefect and they have teachers. Yep. Otherwise, and girl. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, go go figure it out and literally don't die. Yeah. Right. I mean, like these kids, they don't know where they're going, but then they're also getting in trouble for being late. Like you can't have it both ways. Right. Either tell the kids how to get to their classes or they don't get in trouble for being late for the first week. Like maybe that. Right. I (laughs) ridiculous. It it really is. It really is. But Harry's surviving. Uh, We learn about a few of his classes, astronomy, herbology, history of magic taught by a ghost, because why not? Who better to teach history than someone who's been there through all of it? (laughs) We get an intro to charms, transfiguration with Prof McGee. Before Defense Against the Dark Arts with Quirrell and in a reread of our movie eight spidey senses for horcruxes are ringing just out of control. The room smells like garlic. He's wearing a smelly turban. And before we get to that particular bombshell, he said that he got this turban as a gift for fighting off a zombie. Is a zombie different in this world than an inferi? Or had that just not been figured out yet, right? I feel like this is probably like a terminology thing, like the same way that she calls the deluminator the putter outer for like the mm-hmm. first book. Mm-hmm. Because to me, I, there can't be what is the nuance there? If those are two distinct species in the wizarding world, like, okay, in theory, are like less decayed, I don't understand. Yeah, what I, the difference I, is. I don't get it either. And it's, it's going to come up again later. Um, but that's, oh my God, I never later. noticed that. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> this isn't a walking dead podcast. So let's, let's talk about the turban. When we met Coral in Diagon Alley a few chapters ago, he wasn't wearing it, but now he is. That's also the same day the vault stashing the sorcerer stone was broken into after Hagrid emptied it, which we get at the end of this chapter. Right. Of course, on a reread, we understand that this was a failed attempt that was Quirrell. Yes. And that Voldemort punished him. And to keep a closer watch on him, he attached himself to the back of Quirrell's head. If I can channel my inner Kev on this one, this turban is hiding the fact that this dude has a snake man that apparently smells bad sticking out the back of his head. This is a mullet gone seriously wrong. Wizard <laughs> in the front, serial killer, soul possession in the back. How'd I do? Spot on. Spot on. I absolutely love it. I love the fact that you incorporated the fact that for some reason it smells bad because I've always kind of wondered about that. Like, why does it smell? (laughs) Why does the back of his head smell? Right. Like, is it specifically Voldemort that smells? Is it it coral that smells? Whatever it is. Who smells in this scenario? I don't know. Well, this, this is not the end of my questions. I have many. And I, if you have answers to literally any of these, please, please tell me. Cause I, it doesn't, I how, <laughs> how is Voldemort keeping an eye on Quirrell with a rag covering his face and no ability to turn his head? 
he has to have like serious peripheral vision and some sort of oculus psychopulous spell to just like see through the turban no or he's just relying on the power of like legitimacy like maybe he can even see through Quirrell's eyes for all we know that's really interesting because that was my next question at the, he has to be tapped into his mind at this point right he has to be how much agency does Quirrell have in this moment i feel like we never see Quirrell like behaving in a way like you know how they say that when someone's under the imperious curse in the series there's like mm-hmm. a certain way that they act right it's like kind of a vacant thing we never see mm-hmm. moments like that with Quirrell yeah so it's like I feel like he's got plenty of agency but he as well as much agency as someone who's like ordering you to do things I mean this is command hallucinations in a, with a psychotic disorder right <laughs> like someone like whispering in your ear like do these awful things yeah it's I don't know how this works and I, it only leads me to more questions. What happens during normal human stuff? Like when Quirrell eats, does he sneak a fork around the back of his head to his scaly half? But Voldemort doesn't have to eat actual food, but he might need his snake juice. Right. Like, is it only (laughs) unicorn blood that Voldemort is eating now or like he has to crave a slice of pizza once in a while, right? One would think, especially when you've been like a specter yeah. for the past several years. <laughs> like you've got to miss, even Voldemort has to have some favorite foods. Right. And do, like if Quirrell eats it, can Voldemort taste it? I don't know. What what happens when Quirrell uses the bathroom? Is Voldemort just like sitting there doing the crossword, complaining for a courtesy flush? Surely, surely. Like, <laughs> He's, and also, what about sleeping? Like, we got to yeah. go Quirrell's not a back sleeper. Yeah. I, and I don't know. Did, then whose parts are who now? Is Voldemort's oh, presence just limited to the structural backside of Quirrell's head? Or is he, oh. you know, like I said, tapped into his brain? Can he control any parts of him beyond just telling him what to do? Could he, have, could he have ever just kicked Quirrell out of his own body at any point? Or could like, Quirrell have ever kicked him out? I'm doubt, I think the latter, probably not. In right. my head canon, I feel like Quirrell, like once you're, you've got Voldemort once in your head, your head, like yeah. you're done. Mm-hmm. But like in terms of taking over his whole body, but you know, like the more we talk about this, the more I'm like, this is pregnancy. Mm. It's like so having it's a Voldemort Quirrell baby. A Valdi baby on the back of Coral's head. Right? I mean, they're they're mm. a little parasitic. Mm. They're like, they really dictate everything you do. It's just funny to me, like this whole idea of like this other sentient, maybe sentient, I don't know, like kind of creature. And the, the questions of like how sentient, how like, mm. how can you split those two ideas? I don't know. It's yeah. interesting. Play by play. I love it. <laughs> that rabbit hole aside, uh, this chapter is not about the defense against the dark arts. This is not about Coral or Voldemort. This chapter is about one of our other antagonists in the book. And of course, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Haggard. No. Uh, wait a second. <laughs> we do get an invitation from Haggard for tea marking harry's first letter in the wizarding world congratulations to him but that comes right before we officially meet 
Snape. We're going to talk a lot about Snape today, particularly in the scouting report section and uh, also beyond that, uh, I think, as well. But okay. for now, we're going to stick to the events in the classroom. In terms of Snape in this chapter, in the book, he's pretty much the worst teacher. Oh, yeah. If an 11-year-old yeah. student walks away from your class feeling as though you hate him, you're not playing the role of teacher properly. Oh, no. No, no. Now, I know that Snape has his defenders, but no amount of social media defender can justify that basic fact. It all starts with Snape doing roll call and taking a shot at Harry as the new celebrity. It wasn't solicited. It wasn't, uh, you know, I guess you would say deserved. It's just this, a teacher singling out a student in order to make the other kids laugh at him. Right. If Harry walked into class being a class count and like showing his ass, Snape wanted to take him down a peg. Okay, that that's teaching, but that's not what happened, right? No, no. no. This it, he didn't have a chance to say anything. No, and it's not isolated. It's not an isolated incident either, right? No. It's just the beginning. You know, he no. then proceeds to insult them as a group acting super snarky like i'm smarter than you because you know duh you're the teacher you're supposed to be smarter than children you're supposed to teach them you know make them smarter yeah yeah not belittling them yeah and of course bang again unsolicited potter what would i get if i added powdered root of asphodel into a fusion of wormwood and that's going to come up later too Again, instead of teaching, he makes fun of Harry for not knowing answers to the question he knew that he wouldn't have an answer to. This is exactly. all premeditated, right? Yes, 100%. Yeah. He planned to make Harry feel like garbage the moment he found out he was going to be in this class. Definitely. I think you, you hit on a point that I feel like is something a lot of people don't bring up when it comes to Snape, even people who can't stand Snape as a character. Mm -hmm. They're like, He's so mean. He belittles people. You know, I get very stuck on his criticisms of Hermione's appearance. And I think it's in book four when he talks about her teeth, you know, like things like that. He He's awful. But at the end of the day, on top of that, he's also just a terrible teacher. Like he doesn't teach anything. <laughs> no, it, and it's funny because everybody says that in book six, you know, Harry's being taught by Snape through the the Half-Blood Prince book, and I kind of sort of agree with the premise because the only thing Snape is doing as a teacher is writing instructions on the blackboard and saying, make this potion. Right. <laughs> the majority of the times I mean we see him when he's not trying to make Harry feel stupid for not knowing the answers to questions, in which, granted, when he does that, he is informing the class of what the right answers are. He's just doing it in a way that's kind of awful. <laughs> right but when I think about like great teachers I mean even Slughorn like is a pretty decent teacher mm -hmm. you know he's you think about his first class he's motivating books. he yeah yes it's fun mm -hmm. it's he's he uses the Socratic method like he's a good teacher even though like he's yeah. a pompous so-and-so yeah and let's, Snape's terrible. yeah let's be let's be 100% real about that like Every teacher that's a good teacher doesn't have to be nice and fun. Like, you can have strict teachers that are sure. still good at relaying information to you, but Absolutely. they're not bullies, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. again, you know, another question, another insulting remark. And on the third question, Harry finally shows a little defiance and says, why don't you ask for Hermione? She's had her hand up, you know, for every single question, the only student with their hand up and likely the only one that knows the answers. Some are going to say that Draco may have, you know, known the answers because a lot of people think that Draco was basically second in the class in terms of grades behind Hermione. And maybe he did know the answer to these questions, but Snape's never going to put him in the position to be wrong. And oh, right. His, hand. his golden boy. Did. Right? Yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And Snape's behavior doesn't improve throughout this class. He puts him in pairs, criticizes everyone except for Malfoy. He calls Neville an idiot, and when Neville's potion actually physically harms him, instead of perhaps, you know, helping him along the way, he just let him injure himself and embarrassed him in front of the class and had another student, rather than himself, take him to the hospital wink, by the way. And then he blamed Harry for letting Neville get his potion wrong and continued taking points away from Gryffindor for it. It's absurd. I mean, that right. whole thing when he's like, I'm gonna, I'm taking a point away because you didn't tell him not to make that mistake. It's like at that point, any doubt as a reader that you had that all of this was totally intentional and that he wasn't just a grumpy teacher, like is gone. All that right. Gone. Right. It's at this point, it's not just incompetent teaching. At this point, it's a blatant attack on a student. Yeah. Not as literally as he's going to do in book six, but an attack nonetheless. He's For sure. an awful teacher. Um, he's a very intelligent, a very intelligent wizard. So before all the Snape truthers cancel me on social media, Snape he can, you can work for the good guys and still be a crappy person or a crappy teacher. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Okay. And I mean, just just plain mean. And like you said, I mean, a bully. Yeah. That's the best word for him. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm we're we can we can put a pause on Snape for the time being. OK. After class, Ron hitches a ride to Hagrid's for tea and rocks a cake or whatever he tries to feed them he tries to brush off that snape hates harry when harry brings him up but at this point i've got to ask should hagrid have said anything about this because Ooh. he knows right it's a lot to lay on an 11 year old but why a grown man an authority figure and with this being a boarding school so truly a parental figure for these children why this person is singling you out and being you know mean to you because he hated your dad and Hagrid knows. This is, I love this question. Should, cause like I'm inclined to say most of the time I'm very much on the side of people just need to be upfront with Harry. Mm -hmm. I think in this case, there's maybe a happy medium that would have been ideal, which is for Hagrid to say, you know, that's a conversation that we can have like further down the line, mm -hmm. but I really want you to just make up your own mind about him because I feel like that's why he doesn't tell him right is he's like I don't want to poison his mind against this guy I mean maybe that's why he doesn't tell him that's, or maybe Dumbledore's told him not to tell him but in which case just f you Dumbledore like <laughs> that wouldn't shock me um right I hadn't thought about that which is funny because every single episode of this so far has come back to the Dumbledore master plan and it yeah. seems to be the running theme of this entire podcast series. 
Not that I'm a seer, but I think it's probably going to continue. But <laughs> but I hadn't thought of it as maybe Dumbledore told Hagrid specifically not to. I thought of it more along the lines of like Hagrid didn't didn't want to make Harry like fear Snape in a way okay. or also have that really uncomfortable conversation with this kid, right? Like somewhere, yeah, teetering yeah. on those two things. That tracks. Hagrid is mm-hmm. not a fan of uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. And he doesn't handle them very well. Yeah. But and he, I think like if we Occam's razor that, that's the most likely. <laughs> right, know, because he's probably got dirt too. He yeah. would have been the groundskeeper during the Marauders era. Oh, he's got so he's probably seen he's seen things that we never see in the series like he was probably there for snape's worst memory he was probably there for some of the stories that we get little bits about uh when it's referenced that the two never um never missed an opportunity to curse each other right like he's probably seen a ton of that firsthand and i don't know i think he's probably got some juicy stuff he could have told Harry at any point in time and never did. Not just here, but never point. did. He really he never does revisit it with him. Mm-mm. It never occurred to me that Hagrid is absolutely like the keeper of all of the Hogwarts tea. Like this is a spin-off that I think everybody everybody wants a Marauder spin-off. But what if that spin-off and this just popped in my head, so it's probably garbage. What if that spin-off is t- like through Hagrid's perspective of the Marauder era, like watching all of it? I love it because then you're not taking it aside as a storyteller. Play by play. Which takes us into chapter nine, the midnight duel. And if the last chapter was the introduction to Hogwarts antagonist number one in Snape, this is just the section of the book where we get all of Harry's worst antagonists in one shot, because this is Malfoy's chapter. And don't forget Quirrell's turban discussion earlier. We're legitimately getting three of Harry's biggest foes through the entire series in this one little stretch. All that's missing is a pink toadstool. Don't even. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're far away from needing to beat our head against that brick wall. But the good news is it happens during flying lessons. We get some intros about certain characters' experience and excitement levels about flying. Neville gets his remember all, which ends up being the most important package that Harry gets in this stretch, and it's not even for him. Malfoy had to be a bully about it, of course, and Prof. McGee does nothing about it because bullying isn't as serious as being out of bed at night. And we head out to fly some brooms. Harry's a natural. His broom reacts to him immediately. Neville is not a natural. He accidentally drops himself from about 20 feet in the air. We know how it goes. Hooch takes him to the hospital wing. Malfoy talks some shit. There's some fake tough kid nonsense. And then Malfoy finds the remember all on the ground. Harry and Malfoy exchange some pleasantries and Malfoy flies up to try to show off. And Harry reacts instinctively and goes up after him. This is when two things happen. One, Harry feels exhilarated. He had no idea how to fly, yet there was nothing he would rather be doing. We get the sense that he's never been a natural at anything until right now. And two, this is also where Malfoy's tough guy act starts to really waver. He didn't expect Harry to be able to reach him, but he can. And when Harry threatens and reminds him that he doesn't have his bodyguards and Crab and Goyle up there in the air, Malfoy realizes he's right, and he's not about that one-on-one life. 
So he throws the remember all as far away as he possibly can. Harry dives, catches it, topples gently onto the ground, which we can assume means maybe a little tuck and roll. Did he land on his feet and like run a little bit? Is this the bicycle kick from Goblet of Fire movie that I know you love so much? How do you picture this landing? Because I'd given it no thought until this reread. I picture it's got to be a tuck and roll because that's the only thing that isn't infuriating to me. God, I hate the Goblet of Fire movie so much. <laughs> That's fair. They should be on little like unicycles when they come down. Oh my Balancing God. plates on ridiculous. I don't know. It's not a necessary leg motion, you guys. Like, it's, why are you doing it? It's it's a circus act, <laughs> is what it is. Either way, he's elated and enter Prof McGee and that elation just plummets. And one thing I'd forgotten that was really interesting in this reread is Pravati Patil in this chapter, she's the first to stand up to Malfoy about Neville falling, and she defends Harry to Prof McGee, too. She's a low-key real one in this chapter. Yes, I had forgotten that, too. Completely escaped my mind. It's, I feel like she gets a raw deal. You right. know, like we don't get to know her enough. And no. she, she's a legend here. <laughs> yeah, they... Once you insert Lavender, she becomes a little different. But yeah. in her one-offs where Lavender's not around, she's actually got some really cool moments in her, like, three paragraphs of page time. Right? Yes. Okay. Of course, Harry thinks he's being expelled as McGee calls him into the castle. But instead, she grabs Oliver Wood, sneaks the two into an empty classroom to have a secret little Quidditch meeting. And we see a whole new side of Prof. McGee, the sports fan mcgallion sports wager if you listen to binge mode i know that you did (laughs) this is this is and by the way everybody brings up the is wood a cane she was going to use on me thing so i didn't want to spend a ton of time here but it's it's a funny throwaway line it is so funny oh my god it is she gets special permission for harry to be on the team makes a nice little comment about his father being excellent quidditch player and that he would be proud Cue the waterworks for the guys out there whose first, if not only, best friend is their dad. Oh, so sweet. I, I wrote a song a few years back um, similar to Macklemore's Same Love, except almost nobody listened to it and it had zero commercial success. Uh, but one oh. line that still sticks in my head today is, my dad's my best friend. I'd be lucky to have two. So I, I like this part of the story. That. Oh my God, I love that. Anyway. Ron's freaking out. Harry's the youngest player in a century, perhaps since Dumbledore's first year, which is a super fun Super Carlin's Brothers theory. Where does that land? Have you heard that? No. So I'm curious where this lands in your head, Cannon. The theory that they have is that Dumbledore went to Hogwarts and started at Hogwarts a century before Harry did. And that Harry is actually the youngest House Quidditch player since Dumbledore. Okay. I like this theory, but it makes Dumbledore a real asshole for making the like rule mm. that for But did he make it? Rooms. Did he Maybe. make the rule? Why do I feel like the the first years can't have brooms thing is like I feel like it could have been a headmaster. I don't know if we have it in the canon. I feel I feel like it easily could have been a dip it rule. Okay, so that's a good, that's fair. It may not have been Dumbledore's 
because imagine can you imagine if he's like he becomes headmaster nobody's breaking like, my record no nobody else has well mm-hmm. i'm gonna ensure nobody else yeah. is gonna break my yeah, record but they, the 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 way they stand this up basically is that he won like every notable thing and had done pretty much everything that you could do as a first year Hogwarts student to be like yeah. the most impressive that's ever walked through the school and that could but easily include being on the Quidditch team as an 11 year old I really I mean if anyone's going to do it it's Dumbledore like and maybe the rule was in place there and they made a special exception for him because he was so great I kind of like that warms my heart a little bit because I love the idea of like Dumbledore being so close to Harry because he sees a lot of himself Mm. in him like I I think that's very heartwarming to me (laughs) and you know that my husband is convinced that Dumbledore is like his grandfather like not really but he just keeps calling his grandpa yeah granddad Granddad. (laughs) it's it's (sighs) one of my favorite (laughs) Kevisms. then of course (laughs) Malfoy shows up with his goons and challenges Harry to a duel at midnight Hermione gives him crap about it Ron and Harry strategize like idiot 11-year-old boys are going to do for a while. And my personal favorite is when Harry asks, what if his wand doesn't do anything? Ron says, just throw it away and punch him in the face. (laughs) Although one thing that um, I had forgotten about too in in the way that Malfoy poses the duel, he said, wizard's duel, no contact. Basically, you can't punch me in the face. Because I'm a wimpy little, anyway. And he's got a really punchable face. And Kev said this forever on your show. Draco is incredibly two-dimensional as a kid. And he's literally just the awful bully for, basically until book six. And even in, you know, and I, yeah, it as a character, he's, he's the worst. Until it's too late for him to really do anything about it. And that's, I got into a whole, like, social media thing got yelled at by some draco like uh oh, lovers and love it, draco. well yeah and it was it was in the and we won't go down this tangent yet but it was in the vein of at what point do you stop blaming his father and upbringing for every single one of his actions that he chose to do at this point you know i jury's out but anyways they set off for the fight in the bathroom i mean duel in the trophy room <laughs> they pick up a couple of stragglers along the way Hermione giving them grief about it the whole way and getting stuck with them Neville who never made it into the dorms was sleeping in the hallway and of course the whole thing was a setup Malfoy wasn't going to show up he just lured him into the trap and Filch knew where they were going to be after hours uh, they all run make a ton of noise and nonsense as you do Peeves tries to get them caught and they end up face to face with Fluffy in their hiding place you know the three-headed giant dog that guards the out-of-bounds room that will kill them painfully that Dumbledore casually mentioned on the first night. Sure. Yeah, as you do. They survive. They make it back to Gryffindor Tower. We get a couple of iconic Hermione lines about being killed or expelled, and she is the one who noticed the trapdoor that the dog was guarding, and the Easter eggs have all now been planted for the main plot in the climax of our book. Did we miss anything? I, not that I can think of, and I've got I've got my book right here, and I've been looking through, and I think you covered it all. Scouting report. 
<laughs> the scouting report is where we dig a little bit deeper into a single character what we learn about them based on the events of the chapter and how that might inform the rest of the books to come today we're going to talk a little bit about snape and i'm going to bring a specific theory into the discussion and hopefully you're going to have a whole lot to say but let's start here snape is perhaps the most polarizing character in this entire fandom to the yeah. point that if you point out any of his flaws, particularly on social media, you'll be visited by one of his many defenders. Seriously, you can board up your windows or move away. They will still find you. I find it fascinating, and I have a couple of theories that I would like your thoughts on here and on Patreon, which we'll get to in a second. One, I think some people just don't like rooting for the mainstream hero. And because Snape turns out to have been working on Dumbledore's orders and on his side during Harry's lifetime, there's a certain type of person who would just rather get behind him as a misunderstood hero instead of rooting for Harry. Yeah. 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 Also, I think there are people who accept Alan Rickman's performance in the movie as canon Snape. Rickman gives a very compelling performance and, in my opinion, adds some dimensions to the character that simply aren't present in the book. This is where I wonder if we could do a bonus episode for Patreon. We've talked about this a little bit um, about that casting before, and I think we could have a really fun discussion over there. I'm so down. Yes. As a reminder, if you become a patron, you can get early access to ad-free versions of the episodes. You can also get bonus content like theory deep dives that we do on Theory Corner. We'll do award banquets at the end of each book. We'll do more character discussions. And this week, more Amanda. Your support on Patreon is literally how we'll be able to keep making new episodes and trying to keep the show going as well as growing. So we do appreciate that support. Back to Book Snape. Yes. So your first point, mm -hmm. or I should say the fandom's first point, right? Mm -hmm. Like this, I, I, I love what you said. And I think that's so true is people don't, people don't like rooting for Harry. Like I think about this, I think it was like a Tumblr post that I read one time and it was like, can you imagine like what dork's favorite character is Harry Potter? <laughs> Literally nobody <laughs> says that Harry is their favorite character. No one. Right. Even though, and you've heard our show, like we do a winner and loser kind of thing. I give it mm -hmm. to Harry a lot as winner. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I feel like as an adult, I appreciate Harry more. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think people are, are contrarians. A lot of people are contrarians by their nature. And if something is too popular, then they find a reason to hate it. Yeah, and it's almost cliche to root for the main character. Exactly. You got to like somebody else. <sighs> are you a real fan if you don't like a deep cut character right exactly yes the, and answer, yes. the <laughs> answer is yes you can be a real fan and still like the main character can. i'm a big fan the older i get i'm a big fan of let people like what they like mm -hmm. and yeah it, to me it's another way of gatekeeping in the fandom it, it kind of is but that's a that's a good point because I do want to say that neither of the hypotheses that I described are meant to be an indictment. If either of them describes you, that's fantastic. You see things differently than I do that we do. But that's just it's a layer of the fandom that I actually like and think is really fascinating. We can yes. all read the same words on paper and come away with completely different interpretations of the story. I think oh, it's absolutely. awesome. It's great. Now, I will say, if if you're a huge fan of Snape, I just me, me personally, I will judge you a little bit, just a tiny, <laughs> tiny little bit. <laughs> I 
<laughs> I can't help it. I can help it. I could make a choice not to do that, but I still find myself being a little judgy about it. I've gotten in so many arguments about this. <sighs> I mean, my favorite example is my sister-in-law who's like a moderate Snape fan. Mm-hmm. We with me when I saw Cursed Child and we were in the lobby during intermission and having a heated discussion about Snape. And I said, of course, it got really quiet when I said it. I said, Snape is an incel, like really loud. And I got a lot of looks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as you do. And that's, yeah. Yeah. And of course, I, I've made my thoughts pretty clear on his behavior in this chapter and as a teacher, as a view. But there's a theory that I did want to bring up for the scouting report segment. And that's the first thing that Snape asks Harry is Potter. What would you get if I added powdered root of asphodel into an infusion of wormwood? People have picked this apart, and apparently, I don't know if you've heard this theory or not, but according to Victorian flower language, asphodel is a type of lily, meaning my regrets follow you to the grave, and wormwood means absence and also typically is symbolized bitter sorrow. So people have combined this to say that it literally means I bitterly regret Lily's death. I mean, that tracks for him. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm not sure that I have heard that. And what I do feel like I remember hearing is that this, the whole ultimate Snape line Mm -hmm. with Snape and Lily was one of the first kind of plot points that the author had decided on Mm -hmm. so like it kind of where there's a lot of things that I think probably ended up blossoming after book one was complete to me like it makes sense that this is one point that she's like planting a seed no pun intended you know for this this early interesting yeah there's another piece of this too there's actually a couple but I'm going to skip to this one because it's the most interesting for the conversation uh, is that it Snape does say in the chapter, if you combine powdered root of asphodel into an infusion of wormwood, you'd brew a sleeping potion so powerful it's known as the draft of living death. Yes. So the question is, is this Snape trying to tell us that the ingredients, which his regret over Lily's fate together actually reflect what his life is now living death. I mean, I guess like you could convince me that that's true if it was like a Freudian beneath his subconscious kind of clue. In Mm -hmm. no way do I think that this character is capable of like dropping those breadcrumbs for any because they don't he cares about being understood. That's see that that's interesting to me because I think it's I think it's a fantastic catch from a literary perspective. But truthfully, I think it's crap. Because it's, an, it's like an accidental kind of thing. Well, no, I, I'm not even saying that it wasn't intentionally written that way, but it doesn't excuse behavior. If oh, I insult no. you and make you feel like garbage about yourself, it doesn't make me a better person if I put a secret coded message in that insult that you don't understand. So are you saying that like the you've heard this theory within the context of people trying to like defend Snape? Mm-hmm. This, yeah. this is proof that Snape was a good guy all along. And what he was really doing was trying to tell Harry, I'm sorry for your mom, buddy. Um, like, no, no, I give that a big, it doesn't work. It, no it just doesn't no. work for me. <laughs> it definitely doesn't. Yeah. Whenever I reread that, I always get caught up on draft of living death because I'm like, okay, flash forward to book six that's how Harry ends up winning the Felix Felicis, which we mm-hmm. know how important that ends up being. Right. You know, which of course I, I don't 
in a million years think that that was an intentional plot point. I, I don't, I mean, maybe it was, but I don't I think, think it was. I think it was just a pullback, needed a potion for him to make. Exactly. Yes. That's I think my, you're absolutely right. My two cents, um, which is probably not worth one. Anyway, uh, <laughs> one thing that I do, I mentioned earlier, and now it's, I guess, is as good a time as any to bring up is Dumbledore's big plan. We know that Snape is, as Kevin would say, serving two masters. He's yes. at Hogwarts on the orders of both Dumbledore and Voldemort. But he's an awful teacher. We've established that. Yes. So I'm going to ask you, is there any other possible job that he could be doing while still fulfilling both of these roles? Oh. Otherwise, no, I mean, I how does Dumbledore let him anywhere near kids? Right. Like, I could think of some hilarious positions, like being like the Quidditch coach like can you imagine um, but well because like, he, he would have to be close enough to Dumbledore in order to have their little like secret meetings he would have to be close enough for Dumbledore to keep an eye on him to make sure that he wasn't double crossing him and he would have to be close enough to Dumbledore and in a believable enough spot that Voldemort would think that he was actually doing the thing he was supposed to be doing and spying so is there a role not teacher I think there is a role, maybe not at Hogwarts, but I think there's a role for him in Hogsmeade somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like he mm -hmm. has some kind of like apothecary that's sort of like a little bit of like a mob front kind of thing mm -hmm. where, because mm -hmm. you know, Dumbledore pops into Hogsmeade a lot. So he'd be able to kind of keep an eye on him, but maybe that's too far away. I guess you'd really need to keep him in the castle. It's true because I think there's also a layer to this that Voldemort probably when he put Snape in that post, I'm going to use air quotes, was also hoping that since he couldn't get the defense against the dark arts job and make a little army and recruit students, he would hope that Snape would have at some point in time been able to do this. So what, I mean, the first thing that popped into my head was Filch's job, but like he can do magic. So what's the point? And would it be a believe in a believable enough position? Right. And probably not. I mean, I feel like it would have to be something like maybe Madam Pence's job in the library, which I mean, she's incredibly unpleasant. So, Could like... you imagine? <laughs> you put that horror <laughs> back. That's great. Uh, and That's, anyways. That sounded like Kevin's Rickman impression. Was that a Kev moment? <laughs> it was. For Shadow. Ooh, yes. So we're going to hit these kind of quick. Yeah, yeah, we're going to hit these kind of quick because I did ask you to put together four moments uh, that foreshadow something to come later in the, uh, in the series. And that's literally what this segment is. It's four moments that foreshadow something to come. And for our little sports um, theme, just for fun, it, I was thinking golf, you know. Four. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Oh, I get it now. It's all clicking. Yes. <laughs> so for me, I have the vanishing step mentioned <gasps> in the beginning. <laughs> it's mentioned in the beginning of the potions master and it foreshadows the night in goblet of fire that Harry gets stuck in that step underneath the cloak. He drops the tribes wizard egg clue, his marauders map. And ironically, that is a chapter where Snape is also terrible. Absolutely, and it's which really is funny that it's the first one that you had. <laughs> it's absolutely the first one I wrote. It was a little number one in a circle and everything. 
<laughs> for any other reason did i admit like is it specifically that night that you were thinking of yes oh okay. absolutely nothing yeah. with neville falling in it like a hundred times nope okay. <laughs> just checking like very typical like only as it pertains to harry did it come <laughs> right. into my brain right well speaking of neville the second one that i have is neville asleep in the corridor in the midnight duel because he forgot the password to get into the common room oh. this, this becomes a common enough occurrence that in prisoner of azkaban neville writes down the passwords for the week of course this nearly gets someone killed because with the help of crookshanks the cat Sirius Black gets in, Ron wakes up with a wanted prisoner with a knife over his bed. Of course, he was after the rat, and that would have been the someone that could have gotten killed, but the characters don't know that yet at the time. Yes. Oh, good one. Thanks. Good one. What was your second? My second one is in the potions class when he says, let's try again, Potter. Where would you look if I told you to find me a bizor? Mm-hmm. That's a good you know, one. Kind of foreshadowing the... In book mm-hmm. six, how Harry saves Ron's life completely with a uh, bizarre. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one. And it didn't make my list. It didn't make my top four, but it's a really good one, which is funny because my fourth one, I'm, you know, we'll get there, but it is a little bit of a cop out. My third one is Alohomora. At this Ooh. point in the Midnight Duel chapter, Hermione is a completely annoying know-it-all who's giving our two main characters at this point grief at every turn of event that they have we don't yet have a golden trio this adventure is a cobbled together aluminum foursome but it's the first time that these kids are together and hermione saves their asses by knowing magic that the others don't this is going to happen at least a hundred times in every single book that we read from here on out and there's a reason that there's a lot of people in this fandom that say the series should have been named hermione granger and the thousand times i save these two idiots or whatever you want to call it but this is the first they would a thousand percent be dead without her like early on oh yeah (laughs) like immediately immediate but not necessarily in this moment because without her they wouldn't have gotten to face the three-headed dog it's a good point she did kind of lead them into that potential death trap Door. But they really needed to see the three-headed dog to be little Nancy Drews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh, Hermione, that's a complicated, complicated right? <laughs> As it is, as it always as it seems to be. be. What was your third one? <laughs> My third one is Harry's broom jumped into his hand at once, but it was one of the few that did. I just love that this is the first mention we get of Harry flying because mm. flying is like his becomes it's mentioned thing. so many times in the series how at home he feels on yeah. a broomstick so this is that first i love it yeah yep that's that's a good one my last one is this is where it's a bit of a cop-out um and it's okay if you call me on it but i'm going with the endings of both chapters as one foreshadow the potions master ends on a deliberate foreshadow with harry catching a glimpse of the prophet article about the green gods break-in and Hagrid being unable to play it cool. And the Midnight Duel ends with Hermione plot-splaining to the boys that the giant tri-headed pup was standing on a trap door guarding something. The light bulb goes off for us about the same time that it does for Harry. Maybe we got it first, but these two pieces of information give us everything that we need to know about where we're headed for the climax of this book. 100% not a cop-out. I love that. I think that's great. Oh my God. And you know what? My 
my fourth one, my final one is kind of an abstract one myself too, yeah. honestly. And it's Harry in the lead without any idea where they were or where they were going, which that really sums up the series, doesn't it? it Harry's in the lead with no idea. <laughs> yeah, it, it really should have been Harry Potter and the friends that keep me alive or Hermione Granger keeping these two idiots alive. That probably should have been the name of the books. He's very reckless. Could have just alternated, you know, book one, Harry leading these people into danger. Book two, Hermione getting them the hell out of that danger. Yes. Yes. It reminds me of another Tumblr post I saw that was like, Harry Potter, the series, a summary, Ron and Hermione, Harry, no, Harry, Harry, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, Yeah. That pretty much sums it up. <laughs> but then we, what would we have to podcast about? Exactly. Yes. I love this series for a reason. And Harry is is not, not absent from that equation at all. <laughs> Even if he's not your favorite character or anybody's. A Game of Inches. The Game of Inches is where we theorize about how the story could have changed if one small event in the chapter that we're covering had been different. For this, I'm often posing questions with the hope that listeners can kind of come up with their own thoughts, their own theories, suggestions, opinions on how it might play out inside their own headcanon if one small tweak was made in this chapter. But today, since you're here, you get to react with whatever comes to you. Love it. So here's the scenario that we're going to play out. And that is, what if Harry didn't bite on Malfoy's bait for the duel? This is a pretty big moment for our golden trio and for Neville, for that matter. Without it, they never stumble across Fluffy. Hermione doesn't see the trapdoor, so they have never been able to put two and two together about the stone, where to go looking for it, and thus be able to try to go protect it, right? Right, yeah. It's really an important turn of events. Yeah, and we also, we don't get the first adventure with them together perhaps the troll thing maybe still happens so they could still possibly form their little trio but it doesn't form some sort of like this has to be some sort of foundation right aside from literally learning where the book's climax is going to happen it still is kind of that first foray into the i don't know what you want to call it going sneaking out and doing mischievous hero things even though it is completely unheroish well it's it's like you said about alohomora you know i mean it's i feel like this is an important moment where they see even if they're not super cognizant of it in the moment because they're running from filch they see i hate to put it in these terms but hermione's value to them yeah they kind of see how they how they can work together how they can feed off of one another in a very very rough sketch version of it while they're dragging Neville along with them. Yes. Speaking of Neville, this is his first moment of bravery-ish. But more than that, he's in on the secret. He knows that they go out sneaking around, laying the first bricks for him to stand on when he's trying to stop them from going later on in the book. Yes, because really all he's doing is exactly what Hermione did, what he saw Hermione do, and got inspired by that, 
Yes. Oh, so true. Which is such an important moment for Neville. Right. Of course, he gets paralyzed by a combat advance, you know, Hermione, where, speaking of, where did she practice? Right. Who taught you that spell, girlfriend? (laughs) You don't just read that in a book and whip it out. I mean. I feel like McGonagall taught her. I feel like. Oh, so you're thinking off page, we have some little tutorage sessions from Prof McGee. She she ends up giving her the time turner. Like, I feel like there are some, there's some individual bonding happening between those two. The question is, how does that impact Quidditch? Because that's the only way that she's doing this is if it somehow benefits Quidditch and her. There's got to be a way. It's like six degrees of of Kevin Bacon. Like, Mm -hmm. there's got to be a way. It's got to tie into Quidditch. Yeah. (laughs) Is she thinking that Hermione can use the time turner to blow the snitch in Harry's direction? Absolutely. You know, like she's like, yes, Mm -hmm. use it for your studies. And in her head, she's like, if we lose a match by some kind of like crazy little margin of a split second difference, then I'm just going to tell her to go ahead and use the time turner there. Mm-hmm. Very strategic, Megalian. Yes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. It's It's got to be that. But that was the moment that gives Neville his final 10 points to win the House Cup for Gryffindor. Yes. And without this, does he ever have that courage? Where are our golden trio without this first mission out and about after hours? Where is Neville without his first moment of bravery and being a part of something? Yes. Where does this book go? How do they manage to find Fluffy in the trap door? You know, I just don't think that they do. I feel like truly without this interlude. So really we have Malfoy to thank for all of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> without this, we really the events of of halloween still happens with the troll like you said but the events of the night when when quirrell's really trying to get the stone all of those things happen but our trio doesn't really necessarily know any of it's happening because it's Mm -hmm. all a ripple effect yeah Ooh. so Mm -hmm. nothing it would be a super boring book thanks malfoy (laughs) so one decision a truly bad decision lays the groundwork for where we're heading in this book and puts our four yes four heroes together on their first mission of sorts yes so important i remember kevin saying early on in the series i'm starting to gather that this author doesn't write anything accidentally like everything (laughs) is on purpose which i mean you you know i don't want to read a book full of fluff anyway the game ball so the game ball is, this is for your show. This is the winner. Oh, good. okay. Cool. Cool. Um, cool. In sports, sometimes if you have a good game, the coach will award you with the game ball as a. I did not know that. that. Yep. <laughs> so this is good. Right. And that's, that's kind of the, uh, that's the running theme through here. All of these segments are sports themed, but you don't have to know, care or like sports at all in order to get the show. Uh, but this is Hermione, right? You know, for trying to talk some sense into these boys, albeit failing miserably, for realizing they were set up by Malfoy and there was never going to be a duel in the first place. Thus, I think at least starting to get them thinking of things a little bit more like chess rather than reacting without thinking. For Alohomora, for getting them out of Filch's crosshairs, for noticing the trapdoor, and of course, for one of the most iconic lines of the books, if not the series. Oh, yeah, the line about being expelled. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So who was yours? Mine was in to no one's surprise based on our earlier conversation. I gave it to Harry in this (laughs) one because 
of how he stands up for Neville um and just because of his sheer balls really you know <laughs> I mean he's this kid he's freaking 11 years old he has no clue anything about this world whatsoever he was raised by people telling him what a horrible awful child he was and he still kind of goes into this school and like does the right thing even though he's mm -hmm. reckless about it and even though he's like a little terrible to Hermione at moments <laughs> Um, he still kind of does the right thing. I feel like that speaks to some really deep, good stuff in there. Yeah, I, I'm not upset with that choice. I okay. would just say and I'm not upset with yours. Yes, because <laughs> I almost gave it to Hermione. I was really stuck between those two. But okay, let's give away the red card. Red card. So the red card in sports, this is for soccer fans or everywhere else outside of America football, uh, a red card symbolizes a player being ejected from the game. So this is the character we want to get out of here for your show. This is the losers. Okay. Uh, for me, this is Draco. He gets special treatment. He acts like a little D-bag in Snape's class. He bullies Neville multiple times about his remember all. He talks a bunch of crap about how great of a flyer he is, which is typical and annoying. He plays fake tough guy throughout the chapter, which is more annoying. He tried to set Harry up to get caught out of bed rather than backing up the smack talk. He's really just an entitled bully at this point with no redeeming qualities of his own. The only good that can come from him is Harry getting on the Quidditch team and the team discovering the trapdoor and Fluffy. Neither would have happened without Draco's nonsense. So maybe that's redeeming? Well, he didn't intend for any of that. I feel like he's actually super pissed that good things came out of that. Um, That's fair. He I thought Harry like, was getting expelled. Exactly. I yeah. also gave it to Draco, actually. So I'm kind of like surprised that neither one of us gave it to Snape, but I just felt like there was more awful stuff from Draco in both of these chapters than the Snape. There was, and honestly, I thought that um, we gave Snape enough crap. There's also that. You know, like, and I didn't think we gave Draco enough. <laughs> so that's where I landed. Completely with you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that leads us into the final award, which is the Fumble Award. Fumble. So the Fumble Award is not for a character, it's for kind of for the author, kind of for the book themselves, uh, for the chapter. This is a, a fumble, as I'm sure you have heard. Uh, is very popular in American football. It's where the guy running with the ball is running and drops the ball. This is where the chapter dropped the ball for me. Ooh. And so I don't have a lot here this week. Um, so I'm going to hit on a few little things to just sort of, you know, uh, roll with. One is the zombies. Again, as far as I know, this is our only mention of zombies. And they, <laughs> so if they're in fact different than in theory, I want to know more. Like, how do they become a zombie if it's not a dark wizard doing it? Why didn't they side with Voldemort in the war? In fact, why didn't vampires, for that matter? We don't get any of them either. But it, I'm chalking it up to author hadn't figured out Inferior yet. Uh, that's, I, yes. There's no way they're two different things. Yeah. So the other one that I have is just the whimsical nature of the castle. It's introduced Ooh. with a ton of these trick stairs, fake doors, doors you have to tickle to get them open, and very little of this actually comes back. 
right the pear you tickle for the passageway to get to honeydukes or maybe that's the kitchens i don't remember the trick step the couple caught caught in, yeah. yeah that we talked about <laughs> yeah. um yes the either way after these chapters the castle sort of becomes a normal castle we can assume the kids just kind of know all the tricks i guess but i think it was just too much to remember and too much that could take away from the momentum of the upcoming plot points you know picture this the battle of hogwarts while running into a vanishing doorway can like what the f Right, really? Looney Tunes a little bit. Read the room. Yes. Oh, it is. It's yeah. classic. Is... Like, what is the Roadrunner and and yeah. Wiley Coyote. Coyote? Yeah, it's Definitely. it's a little like uh, the line in one of the previous chapters where Hagrid ties uh, Vernon's shotgun into a bow. Like, right. it's way too cartoony. <laughs> and I feel really like is. that about the beginning of the like the way the potions master chapter starts it starts just too cartoony and yeah. i think it's realized because a lot of it doesn't stay that is such a good point i'm i'm completely with you i've never thought of that before but you're right it is whimsy it's like clearly they're only to be whimsical mm-hmm. and i the trick stairs always frustrated me because i'm like what is the function like why does yeah. the trick exist it makes no sense makes no sense why do they go somewhere on a different day like i hate the movie where they're actually literally moving like that's dumb it's just so inefficient you know and i know they had to figure out a way without the midnight duel to get them to the third floor corridor and this is not a movie bashing pod like we'll get to the movies um but yeah i just that sort of it's overly whimsical i think did you have any moments that stood out to you where you were just like this just doesn't hook up. You know what I mean? Like you know what? WTF to the author. <laughs> you know what I hate? I hate the remember all. Mm, just as an object. Yeah. Like what is the purpose of something telling you that you have forgotten something, but not telling you what it is that you have forgotten? Yeah. It's rough. As someone with ADHD, that makes me want to break something <laughs> just like, things just break everything go what? all hairy end of order of the phoenix on dumbledore's stuff just break everything yes. yeah because mm-hmm. in, there's no universe in which if some it, like if i had a little voice in my head that said amanda you've forgotten something there's no universe in which i would go oh yeah it must be this yeah. all it would do is give me anxiety and make me irrationally angry so i hate the remember all i'm really glad that it, as far as i can remember it does not come up again and i just wish it had been something else because it's a frustrating completely nonsensical object <laughs> i yeah i mm-hmm. worthy fumble award moment you. <laughs> so with that we've reached this end uh the end of this episode of belated binge and this this has been a lot of fun so thank you for coming on can we possibly pencil you? I'm going to put you on the spot in front of yes. uh, God and everybody. Can we pencil you <laughs> in to come back? Definitely. Oh, I've had a blast. Absolutely. Sweet. 
Uh, so shout out to producer Jack, who we work like a dog. Remember to follow and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review if you enjoyed the show. Five stars, please. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify now too, and I think somewhere else that I can't remember. But um, if you're listening and you can see the ability to leave a re- uh, review, please do so. Uh, become a patron over on Patreon for early access to ad-free episodes and exclusive content. And we're also on social media at Belated Binge on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And our show segments are also available on YouTube where you can get in touch with us. You can email the show at uh, belatedbinge at gmail.com. And I wanted to give you the opportunity as well to drop links for the Fox and Fox app. Oh, hey, thanks. Yeah, a lot of the same info. We are on every platform that you can find podcasts on. Uh, you can find us at thefoxandthefoxhound.com. Our website will link to all of our socials. Um, the only unusual social handle, it's, it's all the Fox and the Foxhound except for Twitter, which is at Fox and Foxhound because of character limits to mm. your Twitter. So, yeah. See, I thought maybe somebody had already grabbed it. No, no, it's just it's too many characters. I was very frustrated by that when I was creating all of the accounts. Fair enough. Uh, well, if you're reading along next week, we're going to do chapters 10 and 11 of Sorcerer's Stone. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on the Belated Binge Podcast.